This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and I was hoping to be able to avoid a certain topic on the show, because I've been hitting on it a lot lately, but circumstances are that I have to, I feel I have to get into it again, and of course, it's the COVID thing. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, it's still, COVID is still a thing, y'all, it's all that kind of stuff going on, uh, but I thought... Uh, a way to do it for this week's show, and maybe I'll do this in the future, is to limit myself to five minutes. I've got my phone sitting right here by the microphone. I've got it set for five minutes, uh, which haven't started yet. But uh, as soon as I, I'll hit the start button and I'll, I'll talk about it. And when it goes to the five minutes and the alarm sounds, that means I'm done. And even if I'm just in the middle of it, I'll just I'll be done. And then I'll move on to my other topics for this week's show. Does it sound like a plan? Does it sound like a deal? I feel like I need to talk about some of this stuff. I, I, I do, so I'm going to. And all right, so I'll keep it to five minutes. All right. <clears throat> all right, all right. Let's get uh, phones in place. All right, here we go. I'm going to hit the start button. I'm going to hit it now. Okay. Uh, people have gotten the idea, some people in this country have gotten the idea, I don't know where it originated from, but they've gotten the idea that they should get a hold of Ivermectin, Ivermectin, which is a uh, medication that is for livestock, for pigs and sheep and horses and cows. That's what it's for. And the shelves are emptying in feed stores, not in pharmacies. Now, there is a pharmaceutical uh, version of this medicine for humans. There is. Uh, It's meant to help deal with uh, parasites that people might get. And uh, and the medicine itself, the ivermectin, is a dewormer for livestock. So, yes, there is a human equivalent, I don't know if that's the right word to say, a a pharmaceutical uh, um, thing that people can take, but the dosage of the medicine is very, 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 very low when compared to the stuff that's going off the shelves from feed stores, from livestock feed stores, not from pharmacies. 
people are going out there and they're stocking up ivermectin to set next to their hydroxychloroquine, next to their bleach, uh, the and 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 next to their UV lamps that they're trying to figure out how to get inside them so they can get that UV light inside them. Well, <laughs> I have a, a suggestion of an orifice that they could try to stick that in. <laughs> I do. Anyway, it doesn't. It's it, it, for some reason they got this in, idea in their heads that it is for COVID. It's to prevent COVID. I know that uh, uh, Fox News has at least they may not have originated the idea that that's what it works for, but the reporting on it, they're saying, well, you know, over there in Europe they're using it. Yeah, okay, sure they are. But anyway, so there's people going out there to get this stuff, and it's poisoning them. The poison centers in certain areas are getting inundated with calls from people who have been poisoning themselves with this this stuff. The FDA had to come out. They tweeted, you're not a cow. You're not a horse. Seriously, y'all, stop it. <laughs> they tried to be folksy with the language. But you're not a cow. You're not a horse. Don't take this stuff. It doesn't work. Now, if only there was some safe and effective medication that can be it can be taken by people to prevent covid oh yeah there is it's called the vaccine there's three of them here in the united states pfizer moderna and johnson and johnson the pfizer vaccine has just gotten full approval from the fda now let's hope that getting full approval from the fda for the pfizer will get some of the people who are vaccinating vaccine hesitant to take that excuse for not taking the vaccine off the table. And maybe that'll get some people to say, okay, well, the, the FDA has approved this. But the people who are resistant to getting the vaccine, they're just moving the goalpost along. They're just saying, oh, well, the vaccine got, uh, got uh, approved too quickly. Uh, Biden pressured them. I think Fox News even had a little bit on there where there were two hosts talking to a medical expert guy. And the one host introduced the thing by saying, you know, some, you know, the, the idea that was this too quick, the approval? And then the, 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 the medical expert says, uh, no, this is a good thing. This is a good thing that it's been approved. And it's, it's you know, people can take it. It's safe. It's, it's a good thing it's been approved. The other Fox host then said, well, what took so long? I mean, come on. You want it one way or the other or both ways? What the hell? Fearless Loser gave one of his super spreader events down there in Alabama, the state that has the lowest vaccination compliance rate in the entire United States. He spoke in front of his people, in front of his Trumpers, and he had the audacity to suggest, to, to tell his followers to get the vaccine. He did. He said it to him. He said, get the vaccine. He says, I know you got your freedoms, but get the vaccine. And it was met by, at first, a confused silence. What? What? And then they started booing him. <laughs> Not all of them, but some of them. And he tried to save himself by saying, oh, well, you know, if I get it, you know, you'll be the first to know if it doesn't work. But, you know, it's, oh, well, I guess I'm done. That's your five minutes on the COVID. Okay. Uh, uh, as I promised, I will move on. Maybe I'll do that again if I talk about the COVID in uh, a future episode, but let's, uh, let's move on. Okay, so uh, let's see. What have I got? Oh, this past week had a couple of things take place that were 
uh, of some importance to uh, the Fitzsimmons family, uh, my, my, the direct Fitzsimmons family that lives in this house. Oh, by the way, uh, it is now day eight of our son's longest sleepaway, his longest sleepover. <laughs> He's still down there in Mankato. Uh, we text him. I think we've been texting him every day just to kind of keep in touch, which is okay. And I hope I try not to get too over the top with texting him, but you know. And we're finding out that he's meeting people. Uh, he's met some kid named Alex that's uh, into some cool music. And uh, Hayden, like I said, he, he, I think I told you that he raided my record collection, mine and Amy's, our vinyl record collection, and he took a handful of them down there. And one of them is this album called, uh, it's like a, it's a singles album. It's, a, it's a, like a best of, sort of, of the band The Cramps. And it's called Bad Music for Bad People. And this Alex kid saw that. So, ooh, the cramps are cool. And that's all that. He saw that record. And, so my, and my son said, well, this is from my parents. And, and I, my son leveled with us and said, yeah, Alex did think you guys were cool. <laughs> and I told him, hey, let Alex know that your dad saw the cramps in about 1986-87 at First Avenue. And then Amy told me later, she says, well, I saw them too. And I said, okay, I'll tell them that you saw them too. Uh, she thought she saw them with me, but I said, no, no, no. I saw them long before I met you. Anyway. So, um, I talked about this a few weeks ago on the show, that I have an original piece of comic book art. It's an original page. Uh, it's page two from issue number 72 of Submariner. That was a series that ran from, I think, 1968 to 1974 for Marvel Comics. Issue number 72 is the last issue of that series. Uh, page two uh, has four panels, three of which have the title character Submariner in them. Uh, one of them has some, some space goop thing floating around in space. Uh, I think the major selling point of the page is it has a really nice close-up of, uh, of the Submariner, of Prince Namor. A really nice close-up of him. And I thought that's a nice feature of the page. I bought it for 12 bucks in about 1980, I think, maybe 1979, which surprised me. I thought I didn't have it that early, but uh, I found a, a, a picture in from my um, sophomore year yearbook, which is 19, my sophomore year was 1980 to 81. So, I had the page. There's a picture of the page sitting in amongst with other uh, items of my comic book collection. And uh, anyway, so so I've had it since then. Paid twelve bucks for it. I I I think I told you guys that I I sent a, an email down to uh, Heritage Auctions. That's a company that does this kind of stuff. Uh, auctions off these kinds of items uh, down in Texas. And uh, I said I'd find out. What kind of value they think I might get for you know that they would be what kind of price I might get for it, and if it's pretty good, I'm going to sell. Well, I got back in uh, the information that it's uh, they estimate it to be a thousand to two thousand dollars that it could get in, a, in an auction, maybe better. And I also uh, sent them an image of uh, an original piece of art that was done for me by an artist named Mike Grell, uh, who created a character called Warlord for DC Comics, and I had him do a sketch for me of Warlord in about the yeah, early 1980s or so. I maybe paid him 15 bucks, 20 bucks for it. And so they estimated that going at uh, 150 to $300. So I'm hoping to get some good prices out of it because the, the original art and comic books uh, in the collectibles have gone crazy. They've gone up in price. People are going nuts for them. 
Okay, so uh, so hopefully we'll do better than a couple grand for the original page. Hopefully I'll do better than three hundred dollars for the uh, sketch by Mike Grell. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, at this point and the auction is live right now went live on Wednesday it's going to run through next Wednesday until 6 p.m. Central uh, which would be September 1st and at this point as I record this just before I did the show or started recording the show the original art page is at $290 the bids and the sketch is at $52 so let's see the auction guy that I talked to he said it does get very uh, uh, much more uh, active in bids as it gets in the last hours and into the last minutes that the uh, that the item will be up there. That's when people try to swoop in and, and get it with a big bid. So let's hope it starts to you know starts to churn that way. I've got four days remaining on both items and we'll we'll see. The other thing that happened Wednesday was um, uh, Amy, uh, my wife, is starting a new job next Monday. Uh, it's not exactly a new job. She's going back to an old job. Uh, it's cold side silk screening. You might recall I've talked about that place. It's down there in Minneapolis. They they make they print T-shirts essentially, but they do other stuff. And uh, you may recall that I talked about them uh, most recently when I talked about our friend Norman who died uh, earlier this month. And uh, so on Wednesday, uh, Amy went. Uh, Amy and I went to the shop to you know reintroduce ourselves. <laughs> or to reintroduce Amy to to the place, uh, meet uh, uh, the the people that work there, and uh, meet with the boss again. Uh, the one of the bosses, Lester, really cool guy. We like Lester a lot, uh, and Richard, who works in the art department. Um, you know, just just to kind of set up what we're gonna do, what Amy's gonna do uh, about getting started. She'll be doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week, and she might stay in that kind of pattern. It's a part-time job at first, 20 to 30 hours, but we'll see. We'll see how it builds, and it's really, I think, a pretty good job for her. It's, I mean, she's done it before. Here's the thing. I'll give you the timeline. In the fall of 1996. Coldside Silk Screening had two artists in their art department, Richard and Tim. Richard decided that he wanted to go down into the shop and be the production manager, the print manager. And that meant there was an opening in the art department for another artist. They had enough work in those days to have two artists on, on board. So I got hired for the job. All right, so then the art department was consisted of two fellas. It was Tim and Jim, Jim being me. And uh, not long after I started working there, Richard then found a job at another graphics place, so he left Coldside altogether. Uh, then for a, a time, um, it was you know Tim and Jim in the art department. Then Tim found a situation that was ideal for him. He, just, he wanted to live up in northern Minnesota. He wanted to get away from the urban life and live in the rural life. He, that's, that was his calling, he felt. And so he ended up leaving Coldside, which then left an opening for an artist in the art department. Well, there was a woman named Leanne who worked part-time for Coldside, helping with the payroll, but she was also a graphic artist who was working at a place that did stuff for silk screening and all that kind of stuff. She had the experience, so they hired her on to be in the art department. So now the art department is Leanne and Jim, uh, Jim being me. And that went for a little while until um, uh, 1999 in spring, 
I got an offer to work at uh, an ad agency. A friend of mine was the creative director there, and he, he hired me away from Coldside. So I left, and then a month or two after I left, they still needed another artist. They hired on Amy. Amy enters the picture. So the art department was then Amy, oh, it was Leanne and Amy in the art department. Well, I stayed at the ad agency for about a year, and uh, it's a complicated tale. There may be stories I'll tell in the future, but I left. I left the ad agency, and I ended up coming back to Coldside. But Amy was up in the art department. There was two artists there. They didn't need a third. What they did need was somebody in the office. So I went on and worked in the office. And so that's, that's how that ran until 2003. 2003, business had slacked off, and Lester, the boss, was realizing, I got not enough work, too many workers, I got to lay off some people. And one of those people was Amy. He laid her off in the art department, didn't have enough work to keep two artists going. So he laid her off. Uh, she was pregnant with Hayden, and she was planning on quitting anyway to be a stay-at-home mom. So it really didn't upset the apple cart that much, but, you know, made money tight. Or, you know, made it a little mm, tight. But then the art department was just Leanne. Uh, so that as time went, uh, I ended up leaving in 2007 to go work at the, uh, as the office manager in the janitorial service that I work for. And uh, so I left Coldside altogether. Then in 2014, Leanne was trying to get out of Coldside. I think she had her eyes on another job. She was trying to get out, and they needed somebody. And who should call looking for work? Richard. The guy who left in 1996, the guy who left the art department so that I could get hired, was looking for work. He was just looking for some part-time stuff. Uh, he was doing some other kind of uh, non-art-related work. Uh, but, you know, his jobs that he had to, to kind of fold it up, and you know, the economy does what it does. And so he called up asking, you know, would you guys have like, like 10 hours a week, a little something for me? And Leanne said to him, Richard, your timing is perfect. Maybe not those exact words, but she said, I'm trying to get out of here. Would you like to come back? So Richard came back to the art department. And that was in 2014. Well, earlier this year, Richard said to himself, you know what? I'm ready to retire. So he gave his month's notice. Well, that turned into a month, uh, like a two months notice. And it's, he's kind of still there because it's, it's hard to find people. And uh, what, what they ended up doing was they contacted Leanne. Might you be interested in coming back to Coldside? And they were kind of negotiating with stuff, and it wasn't quite working the way Leanne, I think, the way Leanne wanted it. I don't know. I don't know the exact story, but a little feet dragging or something, and Leanne ended up finding another job somewhere else. So then Richard had the idea. Why don't I email Jim, see if Amy wants to come back? So Amy said, sure. I'll do part-time and you know we've got to ease into it and she's a little nervous about stuff she's a little rusty she hasn't done this kind of work for like 19 years but I reminded her when you do when you did this work you kicked ass you did a great job you were really good at it so it's not going to take you much to get it back so and it's a good thing because with Hayden gone it's an empty house with the, when I'm off at work and it's just Amy just sitting around it's just, you know, I mean, it's not much different from when he was going to school, uh, when you know, except for last year. 
uh, and part of the uh, well, you know, with the COVID stuff. But really, it's just it's it's. I think it's a good thing, and extra income can hurt. And it's like I said, like I said, it was a job which she kicked ass at. She was really good at it, and I think she'll do so again. And it, I think it's just a, a really good fit for her, and we'll just see how things work out. So that's kind of cool. That's the stuff that's happened this week. Uh, right now, I have to head for my first break. I really don't have to head for my first break, but I feel I need to because, uh, well, you know, I need to stop talking for a couple of minutes. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I will return after this break. identification you're listening to ztalk radio network operating frequency on ztalkradio.com do you believe in ghosts do you think bigfoot is real do you suspect that your neighbor is really valtor leader of the lizard people of bendar 3 well dr dim doesn't and he'll tell you why when you tune into dimland radio saturday nights 11 central midnight eastern on ztalk radio network it's an hour of science promotion pop culture rants personal observation and of course skepticism Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. To Dimland Radio here on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, let's fill out the rest of the show with uh, frivolous nonsense. <laughs> okay, um, I want to talk about uh, a reaction video that I saw and uh, my takeaway from it. Uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, I believe the uh, YouTuber's channel is called uh, Wings of Pegasus. And it's a young fellow from uh, Britainland. And uh, he's a musician, and a professional musician. And uh, so he knows you know, what he's talking about. At least I, I give him the, the props that he's an expert. I mean, I know I don't have 20 years' experience of being a forklift operator, so that makes me an expert on you know vaccines. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, anyway. The guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to music. And he, what he'll do is he'll watch a, uh, uh, a video on YouTube and, he, he'll, use, and he'll, 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 exp, he'll give a, a musician's look at what the musician or musicians in the video 
are doing and why it's great, why it works, what's impressive about it, what you, we might not notice, things like that. Uh, for example, there's this, uh, I mean, this, a pretty astounding uh, video from, from Hee Haw, of all shows, Hee Haw, uh, in which it, it's a music, uh, musical number played, it's all instrumental, it's an instrumental version of the song Ghost Riders in the Sky. And it features Roy Clark, who's a regular on the Hee Haw show, or was, and their guest, Glenn Campbell. And these two fellows are phenomenal guitar players. Absolutely, or they were, they're both dead now. But they were outstanding guitar players. Just, just amazing work. And so they're playing this tune. Uh, uh, Roy is playing an electric guitar, six string. Glenn is playing an electric guitar 12-string. Now, if you don't know what a 12-string is like, it's pretty much a, like a six-string guitar. It's it's essentially the same uh, the same notes, the same uh, you know. There's six strings, there's six notes that are there. The the low E up to the high E and all this stuff. But um, and, and but with a 12-string, there's two strings close together. And as I understand it, uh, I, I, I've, I've got a 12-string acoustic guitar, which I used to play, which I haven't touched in a long time. Richard asked if I might be interested in getting back and playing music along with Dave Herb, if we can get him out of wherever he is, and get the three of us back together, get the band together. You know, that song at the end of the show? That's us. That's the three of us playing that song at the end of this show, my show. So he's interested in doing that. I said, I said Richard, I haven't touched that acoustic guitar in years. I haven't picked up in years. My fingers are virgins again. <laughs> There's no calluses anymore. Not that I really had much, but... Anyway, so a 12-string guitar has uh, two strings close together. You play you play them together. When you put that, when you put your finger on there to hold the note, you play those two strings together. Uh, the top of the two is, the, is a thicker string. The other one's a thinner string. So it's the same note. It's just that the thinner string is like, I think, an octave higher. So they make these harmonics when they play, and it really sounds, it's this very full sound to it. So what this, this uh, Wings of Pegasus fellow says, when you watch Glenn Campbell playing a 12-string electric guitar and the, the preciseness at which he plays, he gets every note. He doesn't flub. It's, he says it's not easy on a 12-string to not, you know, it, to, to make sure that you hit all those strings. It's not easy to do that. And 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 they these guys these two guys are just playing really you know quickly they 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 and they're hitting the notes and it's precise and it's just amazing to watch them play and uh, I'll have to remember to link to that video too so that you can check it out now if you want to go to my links uh, if you want to check it out you got to go to the show notes which is at dimland.com uh, click on the show notes uh, option and you'll and you'll see you'll you'll, you'll get that. you'll get all that but it's just it's so it's so impressive and so he he explains some of what they're doing and and just how good it is and they're and they're not it's not lip-syncing quote-unquote lip-syncing they're actually doing it there there's a band behind them and they're actually playing that song they're not playing pretending along with a pre-recorded thing so I mean just the musicianship the the, the craftsmanship the, the 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 excellence of those two musicians it's just amazing amazing stuff so that's some of what he will do. Now, 
the one thing that prompted me to talk about this and had me going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, just kind of following this out and seeing where it would lead, uh, it, it was it was a it, he was doing a reaction to what's been called the best Beatles performance ever. You know, the the Beatles, you've heard of them, and it's a it's a live performance that there's video of, and it's from 1964. Five, I'm guessing, late '64, early 1965. I'm 65. I'm guessing, and I think it's I think it's from Australian TV that this particular video comes from. And he just he just reviews one song of the video. the 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 video that's going around on uh, that's that's posted on YouTube that's called the best perform Beatles performance ever. Uh, it's a it's about a half hour long. And the first 16 minutes of it or so, uh, there's full video, full audio, it's all that. But then after that, the rest of it is, there's full audio, but the video, for whatever reason, they don't have the footage uh, that, you know, that's lost or whatever, but what you see is like a, like a blurry shot of the, of the, of the audience. So you see that most of the time. And, and there's a couple of moments, maybe three moments, in which video comes back and you see them performing the songs that you're hearing. But for the first 16 minutes, you can see them. You can see the video. And the, the audio, the, 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 the performance they're doing, this Wings of Pegasus explains how excellent it is. It really, it really is good. He does qualify it and say, you know, when you say something's the best performance, well, it's subjective. It's hard to, it's hard to just say this is the best because, you know, somebody might think, no, I like this other one, which was a little more raw or a little more... Who knows? They, it, they might think that was the best performance. It's, it's a subjective kind of thing. But one of his, one of his main points about why about how good the Beatles were when they were playing live in that particular setting in that video is that um, they he, he, the way he put it was that they are so well rehearsed. But he means a different kind of rehearsal. Uh, it, not the kind of rehearsal where you go into you know some studio uh, rehearsal space and and the guys in the band just work it out and work it out as best they can and play and play and play. Uh, it's it's rehearsal in front of a live audience. It's that um, that more immediate feedback of how well you're doing and the pressure of playing in front of an audience of playing out. As, uh, as the kids call it. And it's, it, he said they have, at, at, by that time, by 1965, they had so much experience of playing together as a group in front of audiences that they had a, a, a confidence, uh, a, you know, a mastery of what they were doing that they could, they could loosen up and have fun. And he says you, you watch them and they're having fun. You see, you see Paul kind of goofing. Make it's like he's 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 goofing on the next little bit he's going to sing. He knows it's coming up. He's going to sing this little bit, but he's kind of goofing on it. He's kind of he's 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 mimicking what he'll be doing in just a few seconds. Um, there's a, there's big smiles and there's just an ease to what they're doing. And he says it's just wonderful to watch. That's because they they they're so confident in their material and how and and they know each other so well in playing in a band that they're able to do this uh, with with a sense of ease 
because they've done it so much in front of audiences. And the, in, if you add the fact that they've that uh, since uh, you know I, I guess sometime 1964 when the Beatlemania stuff going, started going crazy in in London and then over in the United States maybe 63, they've been playing in front of screaming girls and women. And it's hard to hear themselves because the way bands played in those days, when they played live, they didn't have... If you've been to concerts, usually the it's a little different now but uh, because they have earpieces in their... You know, they've got uh, head, you know, little earplugs in that, are, that they can play and they can hear themselves. You know, they have the little earpieces in. But before the earpieces became a thing, they would have these little speakers set at the front of the stage that would be aimed toward the band so that the band could hear themselves in these monitors. They could hear themselves singing, they could hear themselves playing, so they could, you know, they could get a sense of what's going on. But when the Beatles were playing live back in the six, early 60s or mid-60s, they didn't have that. So, um, so they, they, would, they had to know what they were doing because it was hard to hear what they were playing and they had to, uh, to get good at it. In fact, uh, there's a story about uh, what Ringo Starr had talked about with the, the, the famous Shea Stadium appearance back in, I don't know if it was 66 or 65, somewhere in there, when they appeared at Shea Stadium in New York City. They couldn't hear themselves. They could Maybe a snippet here or there, but they said they, they couldn't hear themselves. There was just too many screaming girls. <laughs> they, they couldn't hear themselves playing and Ringo would tell the story he'd sit behind he's up on a riser sitting behind and he he's playing and he's he's he knows what songs they're playing he knows what the playlist is uh, and he said he would he would play along with the movements of the three fellows standing in front of him he could just he could keep time he could just see what they were doing and 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 to keep time in, in playing because he, he couldn't hear them so that's how rehearsed they were. That's how uh, that's how they could be at such ease when they played. If you watch the uh, Shea Stadium stuff, they get really goofy because it's just it was a crazy night. And I think they only played for like twenty five minutes. <laughs> that was that's how it was in those days. They, so maybe thirty minutes, but for crying out loud, <laughs> a concert that's under two hours, you think well, yeah, you kind of. You know, it's kind of ripped off there, especially when you're paying like 300 bucks to see a ticket, uh, see a concert. Anyway, so <clears throat> uh, so this is these are the things that this this Wings of Pegasus guy is bringing up. He's watching it. He's talking about how the music sounds, how their voices blend together, the way they play together, uh, and just you just it's just so well done. And this is really is a great performance. Well, I came away with a little something different. I agreed with him in the audio sense of it that, yeah, they sounded great. They sounded great. But what me being an, uh, a visual artist, I was bothered by uh, one thing in particular, but other things as well. Now, he just watched them play the song She Loves You, which is a great song. That's all he watched of that 30 minute or so video that's out there. I'll link to it. Uh, so when I watched that along with him, there was there was one thing in particular that was really bothering me. Throughout the entire song, 
Not one shot of Ringo. Nothing. Not one. There, there was it, the camera never focused on Ringo at all. You knew he was there. You could hear him playing. In one shot, that was the close-up of, uh, or medium shot close-up, medium close-up shot of uh, John Lennon singing. You could see behind him, off to his left, was a drum set. But that drum set, the kit, was just sitting spare. It wasn't being played because it was for some other band. It was, they had another setup for another band. And Ringo was behind John and the boys up on a riser. It was Ringo was one of the first rock uh, guys to do the riser thing. He wasn't the first, but he did make it popular because the Beatles were so popular. So he'd get up on a riser so that the audience could see him. You know, so, okay. Not one shot of Ringo. And the... The, the 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 camera shots that you got were pretty limited, and that got me thinking of um, uh, you. Know, what what bothered me about that was uh, uh, a thing called the establishing shot. Within that song, there was never an establishing shot. I will tell you about the establishing shots, uh, what that means. When I come back from this next break, you're listening to Dimline Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'll be back, I promise. All my books lay on the table, waiting to unfold. I sit and stare at my reflection While the darkness chills my bones Getting some Z's Getting some Z's Getting some Z's Wake up! Listen to Z-Talk Radio On ztalkradio.com Reasonable is the interview show from the Merseyside Skeptic Society, where each month I speak to someone about their fringe beliefs. Over the years, I've spoken to psychics, UFO believers, moon landing deniers, flat earthers, hollow earthers, and all manner of unusual conspiracy theorists. But I've also talked to AIDS denialists, white supremacists, gay conversion therapists. I even interviewed Jim Humble, the inventor of Miracle Mineral Supplement, a form of industrial bleach that he and his followers used to treat cancer and HIV. This isn't a debate show, and my aim isn't to win an argument. But when we listen to how people promote and justify the ideas that we disagree with, even the dangerous ones, I think we become much more effective at countering those ideas. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, look for Be Reasonable on Apple Podcasts and everywhere else the podcasts live. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio's Red-Headed Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. We're the station that beats all the competition. And we'll prove it as soon as we hear any competition. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network.
Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Simmons. Caught me in the middle of a sip of beer. I thought that bumper was a little bit longer uh, than it turned out to be. <clears throat> okay, the establishing shot. Okay, in, in television and movies and in comic books, there's this thing called an establishing shot. And it you can probably figure out what it means just by its name. It sets up a scene. It it lets you it lets the viewer know where they are, uh, where the characters are in relationship to each other. It, it helps in that. It helps define these things to ground you in the scene. Uh, I'll use a simple example from uh, from television, uh, the show Happy Days. This is to make it easy. Uh, I don't know if you know the sitcom Happy Days, but it was uh, it was pretty, you know, straightforward in its in its uh, presentation. Uh, its first couple of seasons were better than anything else that they did because they did those on one camera comedy. It was just a it was a film. There was no live audience that kind of stuff. But as soon as they went in front of a live audience, it would it 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 uh, it, uh, it would uh, what's the phrase? Jump the shark. And that was before the series actually had the shark jumping thing. Once they went in front of a live audience, for me, it really lost its 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 magic. It was so much better uh, when it was a, a film, you know. When they were, you know, a little the way it was made, the way movies were made. You got one camera set up, and the actors act, and you put it together, and you drop in a laugh track. That's what they did in those days. But you didn't have that live audience. You didn't have to sit and wait for the the applause to die down when a character entered the scene for the first time. It just was so annoying. I hate that. I just hate that. Even good comedies in front of audiences like Seinfeld. You know, when Kramer comes in, there's always an audience reaction. you got to wait for the audience reaction to stop. It's just so stupid. All right, anyway. So... With Happy Days, let's say, okay, you see the the the, the, the beginning of the show. They, they they play the theme music and all the imagery that they, that goes along with it. They wouldn't they didn't do cold opens back then. It was to just show the the opening titles and then get into the show. And so they so that happens and it gets into the show. And what we see is uh, this particular episode. We'll say it it starts off at Arnold's. Which was a drive-in restaurant that uh, that the kids all hung out at. So what they would show is the, an exterior shot of Arnold's. That's your that's the first establishing shot within the opening scene. So that so it shows you where you are. And let's say that it's at night, so it's the night shot. So it tells you essentially when you are, and where you are. Okay, we are at Arnold's, and it's nighttime. And so, so that sets that up. And then we go inside the restaurant. The next you know, cuts to a shot inside the restaurant, which again is a wider shot. It's showing, you know, the, the camera's looking at the booth uh, that, uh, that Richie and Potsy and Ralph are sitting at. And, uh, and beyond the booth, you know, it, uh, away from the camera, further back from the camera, you see... You know, the little dance floor that they had there. You see other booths. You see the little uh, little wall that covers the hall that uh, that people enter the restaurant from. And then in the back, you see the window to the to the, to the kitchens where Arnold is working, or what's the other guy's name? Whatever's name. Mel was it Mel or something? I don't know some other guy back there. Anyway, so 
uh, that's what you see. And you, so you see the three characters sitting at the booth. It's a wide shot. That's it. That's another establishing shot. Establishing shot. It's what that's doing there is it's telling you which characters are involved in this scene. So it sets that up. And then it can go into the close-ups of Richie on one side of the table talking to Ralph and Potsy on the other side of the table. And they can be switching from one shot to the other and all that. And then it goes back to the establishing shot to show the background and Fonzie walking in. And then you get the applause break for the audience to be thrilled because Fonzie's there. And then he approaches the table and says, Hey, nerds, what's up? And, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, he kind of walks up and says, Dudes! What's up? Yeah, man, dudes, you know, nerds, whatever Fonzie would say. And that's, you know, that's how the establishing shot works. And, and in, in, in a sitcom like, like Happy Days, it's fairly basic. You know, when it's, the scene switches and now we're back at the Cunningham, uh, Cunningham house, we would see the outside of the house. Or maybe we're, we're going to go uh, where Fonzie lived above the garage. They had an apartment above the garage. And you show the outside of the apartment above the garage. And then you go inside. So this tells the audience where they are in the scene. It sets things up. And again, if it's light out, it's during the day. If it's dark out, it's at night. It helps you orient yourself. To what's going on that's the establishing establishing shot that happens in tv shows and movies and in in comic books now sometimes they break that model they don't fall into the strict establishing shot sometimes they they want the audience to be a little bit confused before they let them know what's going on it's, it, it just depends on the people putting together the the film or the show that you're watching now, in a live performance, the establishing shot is the entire band. You've got the Beatles. Let's just say with the Beatles. Now, with this Australian thing, I think it was Australian, that uh, Wings of Pegasus was watching with She Loves You, there was no establishing shot for it. There was no master shot of the entire band on stage. There was no camera straight back at the back of the audience looking straight at the audience. You see John Paul and George and Ringo in the back. There wasn't that, that didn't happen for the She Loves You part. And that really bothered me. I said, where's Ringo? Where's Ringo? You know, where's Ringo? That's a distraction. You don't want that distraction. And when I watched the full length video, they did have a couple establishing shots where you saw the full band. They did have that. They did have some close-ups of Ringo. But some of the... I don't know if... It, it might have been a combination of several things. Um, they didn't have a lot of cameras. Uh, they didn't... And the cameras that they had weren't in the best places for a camera to be. And so they just got the best shots that they could get. Uh, and then you might have had an inexperienced director calling the shots of which cameras to put on. Because there were a couple of times there where... The band's playing some song, and uh, George Harrison has a guitar solo. And I can't remember which song it was, but there was a couple of songs where it happened. George is playing his solo. This is where, had I been the director, I would have called for the camera that shows George Harrison playing his guitar. But what happened in this particular video is we get a shot of Ringo playing. There's Ringo. There he is. Where was he before? And she loves you. I don't know, but there he is there. But shouldn't we be seeing George? It's his moment in the song, right? 
And then there was another time when George again is playing a solo, and this time the camera is behind the front three. It's behind George and John and, and Paul up front. It's behind them. So you don't get to see George doing his thing. And this, this to me speaks of inexperience, uh, of not knowing how to do it. I thought maybe it was because this is pretty early on in rock, uh, rock music on television. Maybe it's a little early, and they didn't quite know the format of how to how to present a band playing. But then I looked up, you know, uh, other versions of of the She Loves You played live. Uh, I think uh, there's a there's there might be an Ed Sullivan one with. She loves you, but maybe not. But there was some other live from that time of She Loves You where it was done better. Now you can see that they're still learning the art of presenting a rock and roll band uh, to an audience uh, on television. They're, they're still learning how to do that. Uh, by the time they get to uh, the video that, they, that the band did for the song Revolution, which was what, 68? Something like that. When they get to that, the people that were in charge of uh, directing it and getting all the cameras working and all that had a much better grasp on showing the band. You get the establishing shot. You get, you know, the, 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 when, when Ringo is doing something special, you get the shot of him. When, when John is doing uh, something special, you get the shot of him. You know, and when George, you know, each person gets their shot. The shots are quicker. It's not as static. In these earlier shots, they're very static. They just kind of stay there for a long time. Where now, when they show somebody a band playing live, the cuts are quick, 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 and it's just constant almost. But within that video for Revolution, you get some cuts a little more quicker than others, but it starts to build in their speed toward the end of the song to show the, 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 uh, the, the building of energy toward the end of the song. Interesting thing that happens at the beginning of that video uh, for Revolution. They're playing live. The, three, the, the four of them are playing live. And uh, there's a shot where you can see George and John. And maybe a little bit of Paul, like, like the end of his base, or, you know, or like, like his shoulder or something. Maybe a little bit. And George turns and says something to Paul. This is right toward the beginning of the song. Just as John starts to sing the lyrics and you know at the beginning, George looks over at Paul and says something like, John's amp sounds like shit, or John sounds like shit. Because, you know, the amp sounds like shit. Because I guess it did to them. You get you see him say that. You don't hear him, but you can see him say that. And I know I put the words into your head when you watch the video, you'll you know, I've primed the pump, but that's I, from from what I understand, that's what he says. So, um, uh, so anyway, uh, it's better at that point. So I think that earlier stuff, you know, it, that the full-on video of that Australian concert, I believe it's Australia. There are some establishing shops, shots, not many. There are some awkward, you know, badly timed shots. Uh, some shots of the crowd, the audience, the girls in the audience screaming. You gotta get those in there. Uh, and there's one thing that I learned that I did not know before. I think the song is Jesus can't buy me love. It could be it could be can't buy me love, uh, or it could be eight days a week. I, mm, I'm trying to think what it was. I always thought that the lead vocal was you know it's a dual lead vocal. I thought it was Paul and John singing together. It's a it's a Paul song. 
and I thought it was Paul and John singing together. But seeing that that Australian video thing, I find I found out that, and I just learned this when watching that. I had always thought it was Paul and John. It's Paul and George doing the the shared vocal. John comes in during the you know like the backing stuff, the the oohs and ahs or whatever that they did that they do in the songs. That was pretty cool. It's really neat to watch. Uh, the it, the Wings of Pegasus guy is correct. They are really good. They sound really good. Uh, it's just that the way the video presentation is done, it it's very lacking. I find it quite lacking. Okay. Uh, this past week, I'll link to that on the show notes so you can take a look and see what you think. Uh, it's really cool. The Beatles. I mean, the Beatles. Come on. Yeah. How can you go wrong? Uh, so, a, a few moments during this past week, I put up uh, some uh, some cryptic uh, poetry kind of things, some some little little blurbs. With uh, I used the uh, the the record player background that Facebook lets you do. I was putting it up on Facebook, and I was seeing if anybody would catch on to what I was doing. Would catch. Uh, what I was I was posting lyrics uh, from songs by a particular band that never really existed. I mean, speaking of the Beatles, let's talk about the Ruddles. Have you guys ever heard of the Ruddles? The Ruddles uh, is a parody band uh, that parodies the Beatles, and um, it, it came from. Oh, I think this was like 1976 or 1977, somewhere around there. On British television, there was a series called, hope I have it right, Rutland Weekend Special, which was a, uh, a show that was uh, worked on by a, a former Monty Python um, uh, side player, you know, not, not one of the main guys. Uh, Neil Innes. Neil Innes had been on the Monty Python Flying Circus show. He'd been in their movies. Uh, he's a musician, and he'll write. He, he writes songs, and he would write some songs for the Monty Python guys. Uh, you might recognize him best uh, if you're a Python fan. Uh, if you're a Python fan, you know who Neil Innes is. But if you're not as deep a Python fan, uh, if you've seen the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, Eric Idle's character in there, when he he plays the knight uh, Sir Robin, who's a uh, not very brave, and you know he has these minstrels that are traveling with him, and the, and they're singing about how brave Sir Robin is, brave, 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 brave Sir Robin, and the guy that's doing the singing is Neil Innes. All right, so that's the guy in the in the movies. Now he showed up in this Flying Circus series. Uh, he's done, you know, worked with uh, with Eric Idle on some other projects, and one of them was this Rutland Weekend Special. I believe that's what it was called. And they did a couple of series of it. Uh, in, in in America, we call them seasons. In the in the UK, they call them series, I guess. Um, and there was a skit on there that featured this band from Rutland called the Ruddles, and they were very much like the Beatles. They were a parody of the Beatles. And I don't know if they did one sketch or two or something like that, but I think it was Lauren Michaels, producer of Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live, that, that saw that and thought it would be a great idea to expand that into a movie. 
and do a do a mockumentary, a mock rockumentary, where they would it would be a documentary about the Ruddles, and it would, it would closely parallel the Beatles' career. Uh, so they and 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 it's 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 funny. It's a little corny, uh, but it's you know it's funny, and the music in it is brilliant. Written by Neil Innes, played by his band, the Baba Duda Dog Band, something like that, which had a minor hit song in the UK called Death Cab for Cutie, which is where the band Death Cab for Cutie got their name. That makes two bands that got their name sort of from uh, Monty Python. I mean, this was a sort of Monty Python, Death Cab for Cutie, from Neil Innes' band. But there's another band called Toad the Wet Sprocket, which came off of a, a, a record, an album that uh, the Monty Python released, where there's a, a Eric Idle is playing this guy. He's a DJ on the radio, and he's listing off this concert that's coming up. And one of the bands he lists is a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket, and the guys who made that band said, let's use that name. So anyway, it, the movie uh, is called The Ruddles. All you need is cash. You can watch it on YouTube. It'll have Spanish subtitles. You can watch it there. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. It was made for TV. has a lot of the uh, Saturday Night Live uh, cast, the original, not made for primetime players. Uh, it's got John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray. I, th uh, I think Gilda Radner's in it. Um, it has them featured in it. Uh, Lauren Michaels co-produced it with Eric Idle. And Eric Idle co-directed it with uh, Gary Weiss, who made films for Saturday Night Live. Uh, Gary, uh, Eric Idle co-wrote the film with Neil Innes. Eric Idle plays three parts in the film. He plays the, the, the Paul McCartney character. Uh, he plays a couple other characters. I mean, come on, delegate, Eric. <laughs> uh, but the songs, the songs are great. You can find their album, Just it's under the Ruddles on Spotify. It's really good. Each song is sort of based on some Beatles tunes, and the Beatles tunes were, they, they were pretty good. And, and they're just great. Uh, and it's, 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 in the documentary itself, it's pretty fun. But there was something that happened in there when I watched it recently to talk about it. You, you should check it out. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, the Ruddles, all you need ca is cash. All you need is cash. The Ruddles. From 1978. It didn't do so well on American television when it debuted on NBC. It didn't do so well. Got a lot of good reviews. It's just not much of an audience. And then it, then it was played in the UK. Did much better. And now it's kind of a, a cult classic. Well, as the film parodies the Beatles' career very closely, you can you recall that it's at one point in the Beatles' career, uh, John Lennon said that the Beatles were were more popular than Jesus. All right. Well, the parody of that moment in the documentary, uh, the mock, mock documentary about the Ruddles, is that at some point in the Ruddles' uh, career, uh, Ron Nasty, who's the John Lennon character, played by Neil Ennis, said that they were now, he says, now we are bigger than God. <laughs> we're bigger than God. And, and so that, that created a, you know, a problem. And what's interest the interest that I had on them was watching this video. They had some. Uh, they showed a couple newspaper. You know, they, they, like you know the old uh, trope in films, like show the front page of a newspaper to you know 
do some exposition on that kind of thing. So they show the front page of a of paper. It's actually the second time that it, in that little bit that they show a newspaper uh, front page with a headline. It says, Ruddle's sensation, now we are bigger than Jesus. And then there's you know newspaper text and there's a picture of the Ruddles. And you know it's, 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 it's in, in a newspaper. And what they did was, in the production of this, they used an actual newspaper. But they cut and paste, literally cut and paste the headline above an actual article. Now you can't read it in this particular one, the one the headline I just read. You can't read the uh, the actual article, but you can read the banner of what newspaper it is. And the newspaper that they chose was the St. Paul Pioneer Press, which is an actual newspaper that is still going. And I said, "Hey, that's a Pioneer Press. <laughs> I know that paper." But the other headline, which they showed before the Pioneer Press headline, the other one, uh, the headline is uh, Nasty Claims Ruddles Bigger Than God, meaning Ron Nasty, the character. And you, this time, you can read the article that's there. And the article that's there is about Francis Gary Powers, the uh, pilot that got shot down in the U-2 spy plane over Russia, and he got captured. That's what the article's about. You can also see when you can, we couldn't do this on television in, in, in 1978. Most VCRs were just beginning to roll out. So people couldn't really pause and take a look at the image. But in here I could, I could pause and I can see that the, the headline is actually cut and pasted into place. But the thing that caught my eye mainly was the, the, the partial headline that we can see next to the main article. And that partial headline, partial headline says, Fitzsimmons, it gets cut off, but it's like, it's got to be Fitzsimmons, denies something. And if you look at the article, you can read that it's uh, uh, the uh, Teamsters president, Frank Fitzsimmons. I had to look up his first name, but it's in there. And it's Fitzsimmons with two M's. It's the 2M clan, and we 1M Fitzsimmons, you know, we don't associate with them. It's a long story. But I, thought, I saw that and said, hey! Fitzsimmons, that's my name. So that was cool. <laughs> I didn't expect that. And it was great that I was able to pause it and take another look at, uh, at what was going on there. Hey, it's Fitzsimmons. I know that name. <laughs> Good night, Adolfo. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, the end of another show. Hopefully it wasn't too heavy. Started, you know. But... It was only five minutes, and the rest was, well. You've been listening to Dim Land Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, reminding you to be skeptical and to wash your hands and extraordinary claims and all that. Take the vaccine. Thank you for getting the vaccine if you've gotten it. And as always, sleep with the lights off. You can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission.
This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Well, well, I'm going to hell. The, uh, the uh, page, uh, it's still at 290 bucks. Uh, we'll see where it goes for. Better go for more than that. Better. <laughs>